<laughs> All right, listen, uh, one announcement today in case you missed earlier, but it's the most important announcement, and that is what you just saw on the screen. Spring Breakaway is coming up in less than a couple months. We want to make sure. Thank you, people. Um, man, chairs feel funny today. It's like, all right. Sal, 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 sal. Listen, how many of y'all have already, all right, I'll ask this. How many of you have a spring breakaway form? Raise your hand. If you got the form, if you got the form, raise your hand. All right. How many of you with your hand risen, the form is at home and not with us, not filled out or signed? Okay. So those of you who have done this every year, uh, I have been asked on behalf of Haley and the rest of the admin crew to not make their lives a living nightmare by making sure that everyone doesn't come in the last day and try to sign up and make her stress out. Because she does this thing. When she's stressed out, she goes like this. And it's my, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> um, so we want to make sure that Haley doesn't kill you uh, or go insane. And so if you guys can help us out, please make sure that you sign up. And listen, I want everyone in this room and some to go. Okay, so if you, for whatever reason, can't do it financially, that will not be an excuse. You let me know. Swallow your pride. Get over yourself. Uh, we've all been in a position where we've needed a little help, and I believe that one day God will equip you to help somebody else, so don't worry about it. At some point in your life, you'll be able to pay it back. But we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to be here. Uh, our DYD, Chris Stanley, is going to be with us, and we believe that God is going to be with us even more. So we want to make sure that we encourage each and every one of you. Do what you got to do, fix your schedule, organize some stuff, and talk to me if you need any help. Amen? Uh, I want to talk to you guys tonight about um, traditions a little bit. And I think traditions are funny because uh, people tend to do them and, and have no understanding or background of it. And so I was teaching uh, one of our beginners classes for the church on Wednesday night. And uh, the first Wednesday night we did it, it was Ash Wednesday. And so uh, everyone in the room were brand new to church. They hadn't uh, ever been to church for less, for more than three months. And so one of the ladies asked me, like, what about Ash Wednesday? Like, I was supposed to have ashes in my pocket and start, like, throwing it on her forehead. And I'm like, well, let me ask you, why do you do that? And she looked at me blank. She said, I have no idea. <laughs> I go, okay, well, what, what about Lent? Why do you do that? She's like, because they told us we're supposed to do it. And see, sometimes that's the problem with traditions. People follow them blindly and don't really understand why. It reminds me of this, one of my favorite stories. There was this husband and wife, and they were getting ready to cook a turkey dinner. And uh, they're prepping the turkey. They're putting everything together. And uh, the wife goes, oh, sweetie, don't forget to cut off the legs and the wings and cook those in a separate pan. And her husband's like, why? He's like, well, it just it makes the turkey taste amazing. That's how my mom always did it. It always came out great. Don't forget, cut off the legs and the wings. He goes, okay, but why? Like, what's the method? Like, what does that do? She's like, trust me, it works. He goes, you know what, I'm going to call your mom. So he calls up her mom. He goes, hey, uh, I'm here with your daughter. We're cooking this turkey. We're prepping everything. And she told me that I'm supposed to cut off the legs and the wings. And the mom's like, oh, absolutely. It makes the turkey taste great and it softens. It's the best. You got to do that. He goes, okay, but why? She goes, it just, it's how we've always done it. It always came out great. He's like, no, I understand that. But what's the, like, what's the scientific reason behind it? Like, how does that make the turkey? It's how my mom always did it. You know what? Let me get Nana's number. So he calls up grandma, 
And he's like, hey, Grandma, I, I spoke to your daughter and your granddaughter, and we're cooking this turkey, and we did all the season, all the prepping, but they both told me that I need to cut off the legs and the wings and cook them in a separate pan and that it tastes great. And I believed them. I'm just wondering why. Can you tell me why? And Grandma goes, sweetie, I just never had a pan big enough to cook it all in one pan. <laughs> Sometimes we just do things because it's how people always did it. And the problem is when you do that, you lose sight of the purpose behind it. Sometimes if we're not careful, we come on a Thursday night because that's just what we do on a Thursday night. We just come. There's no purpose in your heart behind it. There's no reasoning for it. It's just this is just what we do on a Thursday night. Or, or we go to small groups, right, because just we go. There's no other reason for it. Or people who go to church on a Sunday morning, I see this in our own church. There are people who show up, sit down, stand up, sit down, greet, go home. There's no purpose behind them. There's no intention. You know what cracks me up sometimes when I'm preaching on a Sunday especially? And I'll get towards the end and people know it's the end. And as I'm speaking, I see people put their coats on and walking out. And I'm like, yo, I'm not even finished, man. And there's this like, there's this like part of me in my heart that just wants to be like, excuse me, sir, sir, I wasn't done. <laughs> Sit down. Right? But again, that's people's heart. They're just, why do we go to church on Sunday? Because we've always gone to church on Sunday. And that's just what we do. The problem with that is, even though you do the act, it may not result in the results that you think it come up with. Because God's not impressed with traditions. And God's not impressed with you just simply doing the thing. God is more impressed with the heart. I kind of titled this message Inside Out, not because of the movie, but because the inside matters more than the outside in God's eyes. And so I want you to see that in Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read 11 verses in this story, and I'm going to pause a little bit in between to give you some context of what's going on. But the Bible says in Matthew 15, verse 1 through 11, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. So here are some uh, religious aficionados who have come to check in on Jesus because they keep hearing about this guy and they want to see what all the hype is about and they want to kind of see if they can nitpick at him. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey the age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. Now, this has nothing to do with hygiene, okay? They didn't really understand that at that point. So this isn't a hygienic thing. You know, I think we've all probably been in the bathroom where somebody goes into the bathroom, you see them use the bathroom, and then you see them leave, and you're like, ugh, that's nasty. Especially if that happens in church, because then, you know, I'm like, hey, greet your neighbor. Say hi to one of your friends. You're like, nope, not that friend. <laughs> you just see the germ transfer from friend to friend, right? But that's not what they're talking about here. What they're talking about is there was this long-standing tradition, and even the Pharisees point out that this wasn't scripture. This wasn't the Bible telling them. This was an old tradition of ceremonially, uh, there was this whole ceremony that you had to go through in how you washed your hands before you eat. And they took this tradition seriously to the point where that tradition was at the same level as scripture. And so there, there was a, a rabbi that I had read about that said uh, in the ancient times that the equivalent of someone eating without washing their hands ceremonially was the same as somebody sleeping with a harlot or, or, or just a bad person. I'll say it that way. Okay. In other words, he equated them as the same. And so the fact that Jesus' disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands made them upset. 
And so they started pointing out and saying, y'all aren't real. This isn't real. God doesn't love you. I mean, they're trying to throw all this shade at them right now because they've, they pointed this out. And I love Jesus' response because Jesus isn't like, oh, you know what, guys? I'm sorry that we insulted you. Our apology, we'll go, you know, hey, we'll wash our hands. We didn't mean to do that, da, da, da. Jesus like, you know what? You're stupid. And listen to how he points it out. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, again, pointing out the fact that it's not scripture, it's tradition. And so there's a difference, okay, between scripture and tradition. Scripture tells us we need to be baptized. That's not a tradition. That's what Jesus said to do. Okay, ceremonially washing your hands before you eat, that was tradition. So he goes, so why by your traditions do you violate direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of their father or mother must be put to death. So here he's using their own logic against them, okay? He goes, you guys understand the principle of honoring your father and your mother. It's so important in our culture that if you don't do it, it's, it carries with the, the death penalty. But... You say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I, have, what I would have given to you. In this way, you say that you don't need to honor your mother and father. Let me again explain what's going on. Uh, you, didn't have, you have to honor and obey your mom and dad. But when you became an adult, you no longer had to obey them because you're an adult, but you still had to honor them, okay? And part of how you honored the, your, your parents is you took care of them when they were old. There wasn't like, a, you know, an Israelite old folks home in the corner. Like you had to take care of the older people. And so Jesus is telling them, listen, y'all have been allowing this loophole. What people were doing in order to not have to feel obligated to take care of their parents is they were saying, well, this money is dedicated to God, and so I can't take care of my parents. And the Pharisees are like, yeah, that's cool. So what is Jesus pointing out? You guys are hypocrites. Because you're telling me I got to follow tradition and you allow people to not follow tradition because it puts more money in your pockets. You're a bunch of liars. And so he goes on to say, in this way, you say that you don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah, this is an old prophet, was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce or fake, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. We're going to break that down a little bit, but uh, I don't know how many of you maybe come from a Catholic background but I didn't grow up Catholic, so the whole not eating meat on Friday was weird to me. So when I started hearing friends that were like, oh, yeah, we're not supposed to eat meat on Fridays. I was like, why? Oh, because you're not supposed to. It's, you know, God doesn't like it. I was like, that doesn't make sense. I never read that. Like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to eat meat on Fridays? And so my favorite thing to do low-key was invite all my Catholic friends to my house on Fridays and try to serve them like arroz and chuletas and stuff. And be like, bro, I got some steak. I got some burgers, bro. I cooked for you. And they be like, bro, come on, man. You know we're not supposed to eat meat. I'm like, yeah, bro, but um, you was high today. <laughs> so you're not eating meat, but you're getting high. 
How, how, are, how are you honoring God in any way, shape, or form? And that's what happens. You see all these people right now that are following Lent during this season. And listen, I don't have a problem if you want to fast, if you want to take time and separate yourself from something so that you can direct that time to God and pray and worship. The Bible is clear that fasting is a great thing to do and is an important thing to do. But most of the people who do Lent do it because of tradition, or I should say many people who do Lent do it simply because of tradition. And the ones that do it because of tradition, tradition, you can tell because they're giving up red meat on Friday, but they're getting drunk Monday through Sunday, right? They're giving up meat on Friday, but they're still sleeping with someone they're not married to. And so in their eyes, they're doing what's right. And they're fooling people maybe on the outside, but God is always the one who sees the inside. So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing I need you to understand. Because the problem with this following these traditions or just showing up to church and standing up during worship, doing all the things on the outside, the problem is that God sees the inside. And the first thing I want you to understand that God sees is God sees hypocrisy. God sees your hypocrisy. You're not fooling anybody. He can tell that you're not living right. He can tell that you're worshiping God on a Thursday and with those same lips you're cursing out your friends Friday morning in school. And God says, dude, I see that. I see the hypocrisy that you're living with. You're not fooling anybody. As a matter of fact, it's even worse because Romans 2, verse 21 through 24 says this. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourselves? You tell others not to steal, but you steal. You say to the, to, it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use these stolen items for pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say that Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Right? And I want to focus on that last part. Gentiles blaspheme the name of God. People curse out God. People say bad things about God. Not because of God, because of you. Because of your hypocrisy. One of my favorite quotes is, uh, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door with an alternate lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world truly finds unbelievable. It's not that they don't like God, they don't like you. They see the hypocrisy in you, and then they go, well, why would I want to serve that same God? So the problem is, when you profess one thing and live another, it puts a bad taste in people's mouth. Right? And listen, I've, I think we've all been in one place. Maybe you were getting ready to see a movie, right? And everybody hyped it up as a certain type of movie, or at least you thought it was going to be a certain type of movie. Let's say you thought, oh, it's going to be an action film, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be this great action film. And then you sit down, and all it is is talking. Now, here's the funny thing. It could still be an amazing movie with great dialogue, but because you came in expecting action, you hate it because it's not what you expected. Or the same thing, if you're about to eat something and you expect it to be sweet and it's sour, it messes with you. If you would have knew it was sour in the beginning, it would have been okay, but because you thought it was going to be sweet, it messed with you. And the same thing goes when somebody encounters who they think is a Christian when they meet you. And then they see you living a different lifestyle and then they walk away confused and not sure of what a Christian really looks like or who God really is. God sees the hypocrisy on the inside. And the problem is we somehow think that just by going through the motions or here's my favorite, the fact that, hey, I've grown up in church. I love people sometimes, it makes me laugh when they meet me. 
um, they try to give me their spiritual resume. And they'll be like, I'll be like, oh, hey, is this your first time here? Oh, yeah, you know, but I've been a Christian my whole life. My dad's a pastor. My mom's a deacon. My grandma founded a church. My, my great, 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 great grandfather was one of the apostles. Like, they go into, like, this whole resume, right? And so they're like, yeah, yeah, they'll tell me about everyone in their family. And I go, uh-huh, but what about you? You told me how everybody else in your family loves God and lives for God, but you ain't say anything about you. Somehow people think because, oh, I've gone to this church my whole life. And? What does that mean? I can go to a Bulls game rocking a jersey every game. Doesn't mean I ever play on the court. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm part of the team. Some of us put the uniform on, but we're not part of the team. And we think because we have the uniform on, somehow that makes us part of it. And God says, no, because I can see behind the uniform. I can see the hypocrisy in it. And the problem with hypocrisy that I've discovered is when it's pointed out, or when it's recognized, when somebody is willing to admit I've been a hypocrite, here's normally what happens. Instead of saying, you know, I've been a hypocrite, I'm no longer going to live that way and I'm just going to live for God. Most of the time what people say is, man, I've been a hypocrite, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to live for God anymore. Why? Because I don't want to be a hypocrite. And my thing is, okay, don't be a hypocrite and live for God. Like, <laughs> Why are you choosing the alternate route? If you don't want to be a hypocrite, live for God, oh, but that's hard. It's not impossible. Maybe hard, but not impossible. And the problem is you can't fool yourself into thinking you're making it because you're the only one who ends up being the fool because your friends see it. God sees it. Honestly, I see it. I mean, some of y'all, it's not even hard to see. Like, I just, I look at your post 10 minutes after service, and I'm like, yep, all right, that was awkward. <laughs> You're not even hiding it. But hypocrisy is a thing that God sees, and my question is, when he sees it and he points it out, what are you willing to do with it? The Pharisees, Jesus points out their hypocrisy, and eventually all, what they end up doing is killing Jesus. Because he kept pointing out how hypocritical they were. So rather than looking at the very Messiah and recognizing, you know what, you called it like it is, and I'm going to repent of that and I'm going to serve you, they said, no, you know what, you've embarrassed me, you kicked my pride, now I'll kill you. We won't physically kill Jesus, but we kill our relationship with him when we decide, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I will no longer try to be a Christian. You crucify him all over again. The second thing I notice in Matthew is that Jesus not only notices hypocrisy, but God sees Fake worship. God sees fake worship. Um, you know, it was funny when I, I remember when I was a student and I was bringing friends. I remember one friend in particular I brought and I was, I was up here at the front. I was worshiping God. I was lifting up my hands. And I look over to him and he's lifting up his hand. And this is his first time ever in church. And I'm like, oh, snap, he's worshiping God. Yeah, Jesus, come on, baby. Like, I was all pumped. And I noticed, like, he had his left hand up the same way I had my left hand up. So when I put my left hand down, I put my right hand up. He put his left hand down, and he put his right hand up. And after a while, I noticed I put two hands up, he put two hands up. I put two hands down, he put two hands down. If I would have hopped on one foot, he would have hopped on one foot. The point is, he wasn't worshiping, he was copying me. Now listen, that's okay for your first time. He doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know what this is all about. This was new to him, and to be honest, part of me was like, oh man, he was just copying me. But then I'm like, that's good. He, he's following me. He's trying to figure out what we're doing. That's fine. First time, that's fine. You've been here a million times and you're just still copying people? 
you're just lifting hands. Why? Because everybody else lifts hands. Because the song said lift hands. So it always makes me laugh. I know Pastor Jason likes this. It always makes me laugh when a worship song, when the lyric says lift up hands and then suddenly everybody's hands go up. It's like, oh, well, at least you follow instructions, okay, guys. Or the song says, you know, I bow before you and people will bow. It's like, okay, right, like, follow the song. That's cool. But God sees real worship and fake worship. God knows when you're throwing your hand up because Pastor Joey said pick up your hands or when you really are surrendering to God. God can tell when you're singing the song because it comes from your heart or when you're singing the song because you're reading it with your eyes. God can tell fake worship from real worship. And worship, in a sense, is an offering to God, but God can tell the difference. Listen, uh, Jesus quoted this verse from Isaiah, Isaiah 29, verse 13. The Lord says, these people, they come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. Human rules that have been taught. If your worship is dictated by the intensity of the drums, you're just doing worship that's been taught to you. But not real worship. Real worship comes from your heart. Real worship is an adoration of God. Real worship goes beyond music. Fake worship stands up because it's polite to do during worship. Fake worship lifts up hands because everybody else lifted up hands. Fake worship... Stops worshiping God when the music ends. Real worship worships God all the time. Real worship always has its eyes on the Lord. Always thinking about who God is. Always reflecting and appreciating and acknowledging and exalting the name of the Lord. And God looks at that. And I was talking to our, our Elevate group, those who are learning instruments and training to worship. We got to hang out with them last Saturday. And one of the things I mentioned, I was talking about uh, Cain and Abel, the brothers of Adam, or the sons of Adam and Eve, and how both of them made an offering to God. Both of them gave a worship to God. And the Bible says that God looked at one and looked at it with favor and looked at the other one and didn't look at it with favor. In other words, he accepted one person's offering but didn't accept the other person's offering. And the one who didn't get accepted was mad about it. He was salty. Some of you are like, well, how come God doesn't show favor in my life and he shows favor in their life? Well, favor is not fair, first of all. And second of all, why do you even deserve favor? I love what God says to the one who felt salty. He goes, why are you mad? If you would have done what was right, you would have been accepted as well. And some of us are like, well, well how come God does this with them? How come God uses them? Like, why are you mad about it? If you just simply lived the way you were called to live, if you did what was right... God would do the same with you. But God can spot the real from the fake. And so why is he going to honor fake when he's got other real to acknowledge? God sees these things. And so here's my thing. When you worship God, when we have these times that we can sing songs to the Lord, take a moment and ask yourself, is this real? And if it's not, again, like with the hypocrisy, don't just stop singing. Deal with it so that it will be real. You know, I used to always say, there's two times that are most important for you to worship, when you feel like it and when you don't feel like it. Because those moments when you don't feel like it, here's what you're doing. I would worship, but right now, God, I don't feel like you're worthy of worship. That's fake worship. Real worship worships God regardless of what you're going through because it understands that God is always worthy of worship. Real worship doesn't matter what's going on in my life because it's not my worship of me, it's my worship of God. Does that make sense? 
And the third thing is this. God sees hypocrisy. God sees fake worship. And God can see your true heart. God knows what's going on in your real heart. We can fool everybody else, and we're great at it, right? We dodge people. We, we blow people off. We, you know, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. You know, just don't talk to me. Don't ask me any follow-up questions. Yeah, everything's great. And on the inside, everything's rotten away. But God can tell. See, it reminds me almost like anybody ever bought an avocado? Have you ever bought an avocado? Anybody here? When you become an adult, you start buying things that you never thought about buying before. And you start having to call your mom and ask them weird questions. For example, mommy, how do you know if the avocado is good? Right? That's the first question I ask my mommy. How do you know if the avocado is good? Because here's the deal. I've had a couple experiences where I bought the avocado, and, I, and on the outside it looks great, but when I cut it open and it's rotted on the inside, you know how mad I am? I always buy like a safe avocado, like an extra avocado, in case the first one is booty. Then I get another avocado that's good. But there's no angrier feeling because I didn't know that because all I could see was the outside. And sometimes, listen, we can make the outside look good. God sees the inside. God knows what's going on in the heart. Listen, Proverbs 27, verse 19 says, As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. So the heart reflects the real person. It's not hard to tell who somebody is if you let them talk long enough. If you let somebody talk long enough, you'll really begin to understand and figure out who they are. If you can master the art of listening and asking questions, you'll be able to really figure out the fakes from the phonies. Because all you got to do is let them talk. I've been around people, and I'll let them talk for a while, and I can tell this guy is so full of himself. So full of himself. And they didn't say anything mean, but I can tell in our entire conversation, all he ever talked about was himself. He never asked me a question. He never cared about me. He never indulged in me. It was always him, him, him. What did I understand? This was a selfish person. He didn't need to tell me, oh, hey, by the way, Joey, I'm selfish. Oh, no, I know. I get it. <laughs> you could tell by what flies out of the mouth. Why? Listen, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. So picture this, all right? Your heart is a treasure box. And you can have one of two ways. If you have a, a good heart, then it's full of good things, and you can only pull out good things from there. And so you can tell someone's heart by the things that they do, by the words that they speak, by how they act, by how they interact. If, you, if you're around somebody that's constantly making fun of everybody and, and ridiculing everybody, you can tell from what flies out of their mouth that they are an insecure person whose security comes from putting somebody else down. It's not hard to figure that out. You don't need a psychology degree. You don't need a master's degree. Babe, we should probably get a refund for what you did because I could have told you that stuff, okay? If you let a person talk long enough, you can tell. If I can be honest, that's why quiet people like to stay quiet. They slick like that. Y'all think Cease is sweet? She's just quiet. She don't want you to know what's in her heart. She don't want you to know what she really thinks about you. So be careful with Cease. See, she smiles. But she's, but she's evil. I'm just warning y'all. I'm just warning y'all. The problem is, we think as long as we do everything on the outside, people won't notice. But if you let a person talk long enough, it slips. It comes out. 
That's why interrogations, they go on for hours. Why? Because if they let that person talk long enough, eventually they speak the handcuffs onto their own hands. Eventually they condemn themselves with their words. So here you have this treasure box, right? Good things, good things come out. Bad treasure box, bad things come out. Negative things come out. Hurt comes out. You've ever heard that saying, that hurt people end up hurting people? If you have someone that's constantly hurting somebody, there's a good chance that in their heart there's pain. When you begin to understand these things, it's easier to recognize the inside of a person. Sometimes it's easier to deal with the outside when you know what's going on on the inside. But when you have a good heart, good things come out. Why did Jesus treat the Pharisees? Because he saw what was in their heart. He saw that these were hypocrites that were trying to call out other people because they couldn't measure up to who God was. And because of that, they needed to put that measurement on other people so they could feel better about who they were. And listen, be careful. Because there might be Christians that are going to come into your life. Or we should maybe not call them Christians, but people who profess to be that. Who are going to call out your walk because of the things you do or don't do. When I was a, a young teenager and I first started coming to Excel, I remember I went to a store and um, there was a guy, we, I think we were buying like an outfit. And so the guy who owned the store, we found out he was Christian and my dad, he's always trying to get a deal. So he's like, oh, my son's, you know, he's a Christian too. He goes to, you know, to Belmont Assembly and he's like, oh, you go to Belmont Assembly? You a Pentecostal? I was like, yeah, I guess. And he goes, you speak in tongues? And I was like, no. Oh, you're not a real Christian. And I was like, well, you're a real jerk because <laughs> that's. That wasn't nice to say to a 16-year-old kid. But I tell you, in my mind, I'm like, wait, am I not a real Christian? Is this, you know, and again, people start to put what, what they challenge on you. Oh, oh, you, you don't read the King James Bible? You're not a real Christian. It's like, King James? You can't even read King James. Get out of my face with that one. Oh, 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 you don't, you don't do what we do at our church and you're not a real Christian. Listen, your traditions have nothing to do with my Bible. I follow the Bible. If the Bible tells me, oh, you, you let women stand on a platform and sing, bro, I, I saw women lead all throughout the Bible. I saw Phoebe lead the church in Rome. I saw Deborah leading. I saw all these women leading in the Bible. And you saying she can't sing on a platform? Get out of my face with that. But I'm not going to let what you judge your traditions by to dictate my relationship with my God. Because I'll let the Bible do that. Jesus wasn't mad because they were coming against the Bible. He was mad because they were using tradition to try to contradict what the Bible says. Your guiding principle and determining factor on who you need to be should always come from this word. So if your heart's not right, God, help my heart become right. If you're not sure whether your heart's right or wrong, look at how your heart's supposed to be when these words... What does good treasure look like? What does good fruit look like? How do I make sure that I live a life that's worthy of the gospel? How do I make sure that I'm not fake, phony, hypocritical? Because if we're honest, if we took inventory, if God just put everybody on blast, if Jesus Christ showed up and just started pointing out real, fake, real, fake, real, fake, and just started sorting people, there'd be some saltiness in this room. And I would wonder how many are real versus how many are fake. Because I know it's not all real. I just pray it's not all fake. Because the world, if I can be honest, the world is desperate for real. And they're tired of fake. They're desperate to see someone that's genuine. 
They want you to be the real deal. Even your atheist, angry, hypocrite, all those friends on the outside, they are really hoping that you're the real deal. But they make fun of me, P. Joy. They make fun of you because they want to see if it's for real. I know for me, the friends of my life who tried to come at me the hardest were also the ones that when nobody else was around, asked me the deeper questions. Because they really wanted to know. I know in my life, it was my unbelieving friends, not my Christian friends, my unbelieving friends who kept me more in check about living a life that was right. Because it was my unbelieving friends that would say, no, Joey don't drink. Somebody else would offer me some alcohol or weed or something. No, Joey doesn't do that. I, I wouldn't even have to answer. They'd just be like, hey, no, don't, even, don't, don't, mess, don't bother them. Why were they defending me when they were the ones doing it? Because they would literally, while they were probably high and drunk, look at me and go, man, I wish I were you. Why? Because a world that's full of lies is looking for the truth. And they can't find the truth if the truth is hidden on the inside but not visible on the outside. It has to be from the inside out. It has to flow in a way where, yes, it's true on the inside, but then it comes out to the outside. Does that make sense? Worship team, if you can come up. It reminds me of one time I'm walking with a buddy of mine. He's one of my close friends, and I think we were grammar school or early high school. And uh, I was really into church. Really, I was trying my hardest to live for God, and um, he wasn't. He, it was more just tradition, not real. And uh, I remember we were at a McDonald's, and we're getting messed with by some kid, just some dumb kid who's just trying to be annoying and trying to check us and trying to get in our faces about dumb stuff. And, uh, and he looks at my friend at one point, and he notices this Jesus cross he had around his neck. It was like a, more like a Jesus face kind of thing that he had on a chain around his neck. And I, I started laughing because the kid's like, oh, my bad, bro. I, I didn't mean to come at you. I, I don't mess with people when, they, when they're about Jesus like that. And then he starts coming at me, and my friend starts cracking up. And he just starts laughing at this kid. He's like, are you serious? He's like, the guy you're messing with is the real one. <laughs> Like, I barely ever do it. I just, my mom gave me this chain. <laughs> and here's the deal. Sometimes people think because we wear a chain around our neck or because we go to a building that somehow that means something. When we were able to fool that kid, we can't fool God. God sees hypocrisy. God sees fake. God sees all that, the hypocrisy, the fake, the depths of your heart. But you know what I really love about God? is he sees all that in all of us and he still chooses to love you. See, this sermon could be a real downer if it wasn't for the fact that yes, God sees all the worst aspects of you and still says, but I love you. Not less because of what you did, I love you the same. I love you as much as I've ever loved you. As a matter of fact, because our source is the Bible, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. And it says, when we were utterly helpless, meaning when we were at our worst, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Again, let me paraphrase that a little bit. He's saying, listen, honestly, most of us would not be willing to die for someone who's even good. 
And maybe if it was like mom or, or your brother or sister, someone that was really close to you, maybe then you would even consider possibly dying for them. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, God didn't wait for you to become better. God didn't wait for you to stop being a hypocrite. God didn't wait for you to stop being fake. God didn't wait for you to figure it all out. God didn't wait for you to become this clean vessel. While you were at your worst, think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life. Think about the darkest secret you've ever held. Think about the thing that if, if everyone else here found out about it, you would never, ever come back. And God saw that while it was going on, sees that part of you that you hide from everybody else, and instead of running from you, runs towards you and says, I still love you. Yeah, but you don't understand. My mom and dad don't care. My sister doesn't care. My brother doesn't care. Yeah, but I care. I still love you. You, don't, you haven't seen what I've done. I did see what you did, and it didn't stop me from loving you. And what I'm saying is, if you're already a Christian, if you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've been living like a hypocrite, you've been worshiping fake, your life is a fake worship, your heart is far from God. What I'm saying is don't live right for God because I've guilted you into it or because you feel condemned by this or because you're salty about it or because you don't want people to know how fake you really are. That's not a, a, a purpose or a reason to live for God. What I'm saying is that you should be motivated by the love of God to live for God. I live for God not because I have to, but because I love him. And listen, love is a powerful motivator. Okay? I do things for my wife not because I have to, but because I love my wife. I get up when I don't feel like getting up. And I go get her a glass of water when I don't want to get her a glass of water. I want to sit down. But I love her. I don't put gel in my hair today because she likes to pet my head when it's soft. So I wear a hat so that my wife afterward can pet my hair. She doesn't like it when it's crunchy with the gel. She wants soft hair. And I want my wife to be happy. Why? Because I love her. It's not like she put a rule on the refrigerator, do not do this, do not do that. And in the same way, listen, you can't live a life that follows God because you're scared of what God is going to do to you. Fear doesn't last that long. You can't live for God simply because you're worried about the hypocrisy in your own life. Hypocrisy goes away when you learn to love God. Bad things, an evil heart goes away when you learn to love God. Fake worship goes away when you learn to love God. A love for God that results in a life lived for God. Matter of fact, listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. I love the way it says this. For Christ's love compels us. I love that word, compels the word compels means it forces you to do it. I have no choice. I am drawn to do this. I, I don't have an option. I am compelled to do this by the love of God because we are convinced that the one who died, meaning Jesus, 
The one who died for all and therefore all died and he died for all and those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Why do you do the things that you do, Pastor Joe? Why do you live the way that you live? It's not so that I can keep my job, guys. <laughs> I'm compelled by the love of God. I know there's some of you in this room that you and I have had to have heart-to-hearts on different mess-ups and different mistakes and different issues. And I know sometimes you walk in there thinking I'm about to beat you or I'm going to be mad at you or I'm going to be disappointed in you. Listen, there are leaders terrified to meet with me. Like I'm going to take my belts off and go to town on them. And you know what? One of my favorite things is when they walk away and they're going, you're not mad? Why would I be mad? I'm compelled by the love of God, the same love that had grace on me. And no, I'm not mad. Sometimes we don't want to go to God because we feel like he'll be angry. We feel like he's going to judge us. We feel like he's going to throw our past in our face. And God goes, I died for you and your past. Why would I throw that in your face? I died so that I can get rid of that. Paid a price so that you wouldn't have to. And I can't pay God back for that. But because of what he did, I'm compelled to live a life that's worthy of it. So I'm going to ask you to stand right where you're at. And in a moment, I want to pray for the Christians in this room that if you're honest enough, you can admit, man, I've been struggling with being a hypocrite. I've been struggling with faking it, with going through the motions, with not being real about what I'm going through and what's going on in my life. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you right where you're at, if you would just close your eyes for a moment, bow your heads. Because I want to talk to the person in this room who hasn't made that decision yet. Maybe you're here and you, you haven't made a decision to live for Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. Saved from what? Saved from being cut off from him. So before we go into anything else, I want to talk to those of you in this room who either have not made a decision to live for Jesus or maybe you did a while back, but if you're honest with yourself, you've drifted away from that really hard. And right now you're not living at all for God, but you want to come back. Not to church, not to excel. You want to go back to a relationship with Jesus. You want to experience that love that you're not experiencing in your life right now. You want to know what it means to have the author of love love you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one's looking around, sir, ma'am, whoever you are in this room, if that's you, if you want to say, Pastor Joey, I want to have a relationship with God, would you just signal me by lifting up your hand and I want to pray for you? If there's anyone who here says, that's me, Pastor. No one else is looking around. Thank you, guys. No one else is paying attention. This is you and God. Just lift up your hand and let me know that's you and I'll pray for you. Thank you, bro. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor. Thank you, sweetie. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor. Pray for me, please. Include me in that prayer. Amen. You can put your hand down. Here's how we're going to do this. I want us all together. If we could just pray this all together, just as a form of solidarity, just because we're family. 
And uh, again, those of you who raise your hand, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you are saved. So you don't have to go through a bunch of bells and whistles. We don't got to put you through a special class. This is the decision you're making out loud. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room, would you repeat after me? Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. And I know I'm not worthy. But God, I ask tonight for you to come into my life. Remove my sins. Make me new. Make me yours. Love me, God, the way as father supposed to love his child. Adopt me as yours. I surrender this all to you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise right where you are for that? Amen. And now I got to talk to the Christians in the room. Because I'm assuming that everybody else who didn't raise your hand is either a Christian or is okay walking out of here without a relationship with God. You're one of the two things. So I want to talk to the Christians real quick. And I'm hoping that as I was speaking, God was helping you take inventory of your heart. And God was beginning to point out the hypocrite in you. Or God was beginning to point out the fake in you. Or God was beginning to point out the things that were really in your heart. And I'm not saying everybody in here is that, okay? But you know who you are. You know who in this room you need to get some things right with God. So again, I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes, bow your head. We're going to pray for a moment that God would help us to live the way that he's called us to live. But I think it starts with being honest with yourself. With admitting that, listen, I'm not on the outside who I really am on the inside, but I want to be the same. I want to be who God called me to be. So again, with every head by every eye closed, if that's you, if you're saying, Pastor Joey, I've been struggling with being a hypocrite. I, I've been fake. I haven't been living the way God's called me to live. But my desire of my heart is to do that. Would you just signal me by raising your hand? I'm going to pray for you. Come on. All hands coming up in this room. Amen. Come on. Let's be honest in this place. Amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you. If you've lifted up your hand, would you meet me up here? And I know a lot of you are going to be like, no, that wasn't part of the deal. Get over yourself. Okay? This is past, past the pride thing. Just meet me up here. Nobody else looking around. Just those of you who raised your hand. I want you to be honest with yourselves. Don't worry about anybody else. Know what anybody else thinks. Come here. Come in close. Come in close. Come on, guys. Don't worry about it. Come in close. I don't smell today. You know what the first step towards getting beyond hypocrisy is? Being honest. Not being willing to hide it. That's the only reason I asked you to come out. Because it's easy to stay a hypocrite when you stay hidden. But it's a lot more powerful to be honest with who you want to be when you put it out. You know, sometimes there's moments where I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to do something with my weight. And I don't want to tell people, hey, I'm going to try to lose 10 pounds this month or something. Because the truth is, if I tell somebody, they're going to ask me about it. And it's easier to not actually lose the weight if I never told anyone. So I don't tell anyone. Because then if I give up, I give up. Sometimes it's easy to live for God when you never tell anybody that you want to do it. But when you stand up here the way you guys are standing up here and you're putting yourselves out, it's easy to hold each other accountable and say, come on, Joe, we said we were going to do it. Let's do it. 
come on, I saw you take that step. Let's really take that step. And it's not an embarrassing thing, but it's an encouraging thing. So I want to pray with you, and I, and I want to ask that God would help us be real. And leaders, I'm going to ask you if you can come out of your seats and, and just kind of come around my friends over here. We're going to pray for a little bit. And let me tell you something. Every leader that's coming up behind you have been where you've been, struggles with the same things that you struggle with. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to believe that God is going to help us day in, day out to be who he called us to be. So I'm just going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray over every person that's standing right here. And Lord, as I begin to pray and the leaders begin to intercede, I, I want you, God, to begin to speak to the hearts of your people, God. Lord, I pray against the spirit of hypocrisy, God. I pray against the battle of the flesh that tells us to do the things that aren't right, that tell us to live a way that you haven't called us to live. And God, I pray that we would bust it out, God. I pray that we would be exactly who you called us to be, God. I pray that we would live a life that's worthy of the gospel, Lord. I pray that we would be exactly who you called us to be. Help us, Lord, to step out of our hypocrisy, to have a heart that is right, God, to live a life that's worthy of you, Lord, to no longer be fake, to not try to fool people, God, not try to impress our pastor, or impress our leaders, but to be exactly who you've called us to be, Lord. So, Father, help us, God. There's going to be moments where we mess up. There's going to be moments where we make mistakes. But, God, I pray that you would help us to not live in condemnation, but have the freedom of understanding that we can get up by the grace of God and try again and live again and be again. So, God, help us. Help us to be a light. Help us to live righteously. Help us to be the real thing, God, in a world that's desperate for real and filled with fake. Help us to be real tonight, God. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. And amen. Listen to me real quick. Just look at me one more time. This is a start. And I'm going to tell you right now, I guarantee it, you're going to mess up after this. You might mess up five minutes after this. You might go back to your seat and, and somebody kicks you accidentally and steps on your shoe and you might in your head curse them out. Okay? I want you to understand. Messing up does not mean you get thrown away. God gives us grace that even in our mistakes we can get up and try again. There's a difference between an accident and willful sin. Accident is, man, I've been trying to live right and I, and I, and I gave in to my temptation and I messed up but I feel bad about it and I want to try again. Willful sin is, I know this isn't right, I don't give a crap, I'm going to do it anyways. Willful sin, God got an issue with. Accidental sin, God gives you enough grace to cover that and try again. So I don't want you to beat yourself up when you mess up, because you will. Just get up and try again. Amen? I love you guys. God bless you. God bless everyone. And we'll see you guys tomorrow in small groups.